that sometimes the value of just sitting where you are and lifting your head and looking around is underrated. You can gain a lot of insight into what your life's going to be like in a few years' time if you just lift your head up and look around you. John is a co-founder and trustee of The Men Who, a men's collective for actively maintaining positive mental well-being. An active supporter of the men's mental health movement and former national charity volunteer, John qualified as a mental health first aider back in 2018 and has since provided support, assistance and resources to friends, colleagues and men in need. His contribution to the men who and the wider wellbeing movement is driven by experience, having found solace in regularly connecting with others to explore, test and reshape his perspectives. Away from the men who, John is a proud husband and father, creative director of Scottish whisky agency Whisky Studio, a Scotland explorer and motorcycle rider. Hello and welcome to the Refreshing Change podcast. My name is Nicola Scott and I will be your host. Hello John, I'm so excited that you've joined us on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. I am delighted to be contributing to the Refreshing Change. I love it. Um, just for a bit of context, I suppose, for the listeners, um, we've known each other for, I, I actually hate to do the maths on it because it's a long time, but a good 10, 12, 15 years maybe we were at uni together. Um, and yeah, I've just, we've, we've been in different cities, we've been in the same cities, we've gone through different stages in life and I just, yeah, I really value your friendship, so thank you. Um, Likewise. Thank you. Do you want to give us a bit of a, I suppose, a brief background on what life has looked like for you, John, and then we'll dive into some juicy questions? Absolutely. I think I wouldn't give too much away, given that the topic of this is change, and it's a very relevant topic for me, particularly over the last few years. But um, my name is John. I am... Uh, let's let's see how I choose to describe myself here. I am first and foremost a father of two. I have two young, wonderful young boys, uh, Rory and Brody, who are three and eight months, so they absolutely keep me on my feet um i've been married for the last four years to caitlin who's my wife um and we all live in edinburgh together um we lived in london for 10 years together caitlin and i where i kind of started my career after uni which is where we met as you said um spent spent 10 good years there but um as, as we'll come on to exploring this change topic uh it was it was very it very much feels like a long a lifetime ago my experience in London so um so we moved up to Edinburgh four years ago and that was the start of what is kind of I guess life 3.0 for me now um now that I've got married and have kids and um the, aside from that started a completely new career in the Scotch whiskey industry which has always been a major passion of mine so um already I think what I'm trying to get across is there's been an immense amount of movement for me as a um, as a man, as a human, over the last four or five years, but it's been a great journey, and you know, I'm I'm excited for the future now. Yeah, I love that. And change, you've touched on that already, John. But like, change, what is it? It's obviously been um, prevalent for you throughout that. I love that life 3.0. But what <laughs> has change like meant to you, or how how do you feel? It's how significant has it been in your journey? If I'm honest with you, I think it's only the last four or five years that I've really been aware of um, of change in my life. If I look back, it's it's only in that time period that I have actively embraced it and recognised it as something that you can channel positively uh, for your own development and for the, the 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 well-being of those around you. I think, if I'm honest, I spent the first thirty years of my life aware that change was happening, um, but not really 
sure that I was in control of that change. Um, you you go through life in a very transitionary state. You know, we we have the kind of well defined periods of your life in terms of childhood, adolescence, teenager, young adult, adult, um, and all of those are periods of immense change and immense formation in someone's character, in their values and their beliefs. Um, and I think for most of us, we probably go through those states, those those times in our life, and we don't really think too much about how we're changing. But more importantly, why we're changing. So what the influences on our, are on us um, that are shaping us, I suppose, in a certain way. Um, and I think a lot of people get to their late 20s, early 30s, and it's the first time in their lives where they really pull their heads out of the sand and think, right, um, how much of the last 30 years have I consciously shaped? And how much of the next 30, 40, 50 years do I want to shape consciously? And what can I do about that? And that's something that very much happened to me. And again, going back to the inflection point in my life, which we'll come on to where, where change kind of started to happen meaningfully for me. Um, I, I faced that question that a lot of us do is, well, I can neither let change continue to happen and sort of roll with the punches, or I can take control of this change and shape the kind of man, father, husband, friend, contributor to, to to society that I want to be you know go back and question all of these values beliefs experiences that I've had over the last 30 years and see which ones are still relevant to me which ones are still serving me which ones are not um, take the ones forward that I think are of value replace the ones that I don't and in a way that's really mindfully what I've tried to do over the last four or five years so yeah, change is, is very relevant in my life right now. I, if I'm completely honest with you, I don't want to go through a huge amount more change in the next few years. I'm quite, I think I've, um, I've done a lot, um, but that's not to say that uh, I wouldn't embrace it you know, for the rest of my life because I know what a positive force it can be if you, if you choose to embrace it. Mm, yeah. Oh, there's so much in that that I want to unpick already. We've only just got going. That was just the, the opener, but... Um... I love what you said there, and actually, I never really thought about this. But the when you describe the stages of life, you know, there's you listed four or five of them before you got to adulthood, and you think actually we spend most of our life as an adult. You know, people are deemed an adult at what eighteen, mm-hmm. and we just categorise that as being one stage of our life. But actually, you, you know, that whole uh, taking control of the change, or even that the change that happens to us, we're going to face loads of that through our adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I love that. Just I suppose thinking about that at a slightly deeper level. Well, where I think where I think a lot of maybe, and I'll be careful of the words I use here. I think a lot of later life dissatisfaction that in some in some people's lives is just dissatisfaction. In other people's lives can be as as severe as sort of depression. Um, I think a lot of that happens is because we carry so much of what we have in childhood, you know, up to age eighteen, for the sake of argument, into our adult lives, and we never question it. You know, we never stop and say, is this actually what I believe or is this just how I've been shaped? Um, and that, I think, when it dawns on people, um, there's sometimes a worry that they, or a regret that they haven't addressed that sooner or or a worry that it's too late to change now, you know, in their adult life. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a hugely, it's, it's just like, you know, all these, all these formative stages have such an impact on who we become and, um the more we can do to really reflect on them mindfully and think, yeah, am I happy carrying this baggage forward for the next however many decades? Yes or no? Which yeah. bits do I want to leave it leave at the door? Which bits yeah. do I want to keep keep with me? 
yeah and knowing that that's a choice that we've got isn't it it's it's fundamentally a choice 100 percent. it's not it, it that's not to say it's an easy uh it's an easy outcome you know you, it's not easy to let go of the things that you've you've held for your whole life but it is worthwhile if you do it consciously mm, yeah. and go through that process yeah and we were chatting this is one of the things that prompted this sort of topic that we're chatting about today when we caught up it was that observation that oh my god we're the world is very different to when we were at uni you know there's so much happened in the last decade but we as individuals are very different people and, and you've all you've described that throughout the last obviously the last four or five years but you know who we are you know from one day to the next can change and it's that when you said about you're pretty happy with no more change in the next couple of years I just see it as a you know it's a constant evolution and there's probably big change and there's small change there's what you've described as intentional change or kind of what I would class as passive change you know the change that happens to us or is enforced upon us and we have to adapt when it's not always we're not always in the driver's seat of it um but I like what you said about you know often we don't question where that you know unfulfillment or dissatisfaction comes from or or then proactively do anything about it but also I do I do wonder whether there's a sense of uh, people just settling you know thinking like well this is just what life is whether that's in a job a relationship with their health whatever it might be but rather than go out and strive for something more or something better there's kind of an acceptance of well this is just what life is does that resonate at all with you yeah, it does. And I think that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody who's, who's satisfied with their lot or just doesn't, doesn't feel that they want, want to make a change for whatever reason. I think that's okay. But, you know, certainly I've, I've been on the other side of the spectrum recently in that I, I have actively pursued change in my life. And um, like I've said, try to shape things in, in the here and now, but also for the future in a very, in a very conscious manner. Um, but again, that, that there is a part of me, there's the kind of opposite tension that says, do you know what, just look at some parts of your life and recognize where you actually are happy with what it is, what, you know, it doesn't mean you need to change everything, um, because that's exhausting and it's unrealistic. So just, you know, recognize where, where you're, you're, you're comfortable. My brother once said to me that, uh, I'm never happy with the status quo and it was the first time anyone had ever said it to me, but you know, when I reflected on it, he's absolutely right. My, my method and my mindset is continuous evolution, continuous improvement, which is a really strong trait to have, but it's also quite exhausting. And I think it can also be quite disruptive for those around you as well, if that's the mode that you're constantly in. So I think, I think it's that healthy tension between wanting to push forward and change for the better, but not at all costs. Mm. Yeah, and that not at all costs, or, or the bits where we don't necessarily need to make changes, is probably where we need to bring some gratitude, you know, where are there, you know, where are there aspects of our life that we are satisfied and happy and fulfilled, and some of them might be really small things that we, that we take for granted, isn't it, that's the, I like to use the word dissatisfaction and satisfaction, so I think that's what it comes down to, the areas where we're dissatisfied, how do we proactively go and live a better life in that area and that space and where we are satisfied how do we celebrate that and really harness that joy and happiness and make it maybe more meaningful than than walking through life kind of not observing it properly and just just taking it for granted I suppose yeah um, I love that so you also you mentioned in the intro about um change of career and setting up a business and 
I suppose I, I quite often reflect, having done the same thing at the end of 2020, leaving the kind of corporate world and setting up my own coaching business, that when you look at the workplace, and I use that in the most kind of broadest terms possible, I think there are probably a lot of people in their 30s, 40s, which is the bracket we fall in, that are probably feeling that sense of kind of burnout, lack of fulfillment. Um, is that something you experience? And if so, like was that the driver for doing your own thing or what 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 was the kind of prompt for you so i mean there were so many intrinsic and extrinsic factors it'd be impossible to list them all but i'll try and um Give us a I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try and i'll try and pinpoint the main ones um I, if i can answer part of the question the first half of the question first part okay. of why i think people find themselves burnt out and unfulfilled and unsatisfied in their 30s and 40s is coming back to something i said earlier is they either uh have have not or have, have chosen not to lift their heads above the parapet and, and assess where they are mm-hmm. uh and understand what's what's taken them to that place so far and then when they they kind of do look up and think right um how, how did we get here is this it and you know what next and i think actually the way modern society and modern life works is unfortunately a lot of people do get to a point where they're almost dug in you know um we have you know we, we have we, we have to get mortgages we have to provide for our families um we spend however many years shaping a career and then the reality of a lot of people's lives is they get to a certain point and it's actually very difficult to put put the brakes on and go in a different direction Mm -hmm. because you aren't afforded the luxury of time in many cases to go and uh, find out what else is out there Uh, and I think that is a scenario in which a lot of people can find themselves unsatisfied burned out and again I said it earlier that's when a lot of people can find themselves depressed Mm -hmm. because they feel that they should have done this however many years ago and as i say it's not always a conscious thing i mean people some people just i think coast through life and then something causes them to to assess and think and and i i hope that most people would be able to find a way of fulfilling themselves even if they cannot change too much of what's in their lives um, by kind of looking inside and that's a whole other topic (laughs) Um, but the catalyst for change for me is it's something that i've alluded to a story I've alluded to in pieces through the the Men Who podcast, which is um, the podcast I'm involved with, and I'm sure we'll get onto it later. But really, the catalyst for it was uh, an a, an unexpected, but nonetheless very real period of poor mental health. Mm-hmm. So I am um, in my late twenties or early thirties, or just turned thirty, maybe found myself for the first time in my life uh, suffering or experiencing depression, and sitting where I am today looking back I just I just a didn't really have the awareness to understand initially that's what I was going through but secondly I I, def, I did not have the tools to be able to pull myself out of it yeah. um the reason I now know the reason that I was experiencing depression is because ultimately I found myself in that space whereby uh, I pulled my head above the station and looked around and thought right well I've, I've worked my butt off for the last 10 years I've, I've had a pretty successful career but actually I'm not sure this is what I want to be doing for the next 40 years um so that that happened to me I looked at I looked around um now this also happened to coincide with some other major changes in my life uh that some of which were you know through 
my own choice, but some of which were kind of happening to me just as they naturally do to some people. So the biggest one I think was um, my wife and I were expecting our first child. And I, <laughs> when I say to people that I experienced depression at the same time that, you know, she fell pregnant, it's, I'm, I'm always at pains to say it's not because I didn't want to become a dad. I mean, that couldn't be further from the, from the truth. The, the, the thing I've wanted most in my life is to become a dad. But the reason I struggled mentally there was because I started to come up against so-called beliefs that I'd held my whole life about what a dad was and what a dad's life should be like when he becomes a dad so I was looking and thinking okay well um am I earning enough am I living where I want to live am I in the career I want to be in and all the answers were no really I mean to be frank I, I would have been absolutely fine if I'd done nothing but I was I then thought right well I have a baby on the way in nine months and I, I haven't built my so-called nest I thought I would be somewhere else by this point and that's when it kind of dawned on me and I thought I I, I need to go through some changes to address this um, and again I'll be quite careful about the way I tell this little anecdote but there was one day in particular where I, would, I kind of stood up at my previous job uh, which by that point I wasn't enjoying at all and I looked around and I saw people 10-15 years my senior and it was just a moment where I thought that that I could project forward that'll be me if I don't do anything not that there's anything wrong with what these people are doing or their lives at all but it's just not what I wanted and that scared me a lot um so I found myself in this this kind of huge period of transition and change and I didn't I didn't really really know where to start and that sudden sort of onslaught of um I suppose realization for me manifested in in depression so I spent the next six to nine months working my way out of that so I chose, I really made a conscious choice to work my way out of it. And I said, uh, I'm going to try and understand what this condition is, why it comes into people's lives, why it's come into my life and practically what I can do to address it. Um, so I, I, cho I chose not to pursue medication. Um, and again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if that's the right solution for people. But I, I chose a different path. I chose to... Uh, I chose therapy and I chose education um, and I chose to and undertake a lot of introspection um, about these beliefs that had led me to where I was and understand whether they were valuable or not to me anymore and so many of them weren't and really that period there kick-started the last four years of change but it has also positioned me and I truly believe this for a happier healthier more productive rest of my life to the point where I'm now able to look at that period of my life and actually see immense value in having gone through mm. depression which to a lot of people will sound strange it might sound a lot of people might disagree with that but that's that's how I feel having come to this part of my journey so far mm. um that was quite long-winded but I felt quite important to just explain what the, what the catalyst for that was and um I suppose what the touch paper has been for the, the the next you know the following four years yeah yeah I, I mean firstly thanks for sharing so openly and honestly like I just yeah I think the more people speak about what they've gone through it empowers other people to I suppose walk their own path there's so much you said in there and and actually a lot of it resonated the first um I've created the refreshing change framework because I believe that there's there's a process and a and a I suppose a journey to go on with any change and for me I believe the first step is always to deeply know who we are mm -hmm. and that was 
came through really strongly with you know some of the language and things you were saying about you know becoming more self-aware um challenging yourself and what your values or your mindset or your beliefs have been and whether they still serve you moving forward you know as an adult we you know we we take on lots of things through um through the people we've been around don't we whether that's you know family or schooling or friendships um but also that societal norm and societal pressure like exactly like you described about becoming a dad you know what does society deem to becoming a dad and I don't know you know if that was where it was maybe coming from but there's a lot of I suppose touch points in life where people um benchmark themselves against what society say we should be doing you know that whole age and stage or what does success look like and I love that you said about you know it was for you it was about becoming I suppose healthier and happier for the rest of your life mm. which you know I'm big on that surely that's the goal for everyone you know we want to live for as long and have as much joy and happiness whatever that looks like. everyone's different everyone's got their own definition of happiness for them but yeah there's that's a really, why we're all here yeah I couldn't agree more I mean there's a really interesting word you use there which is benchmark and you you know you said uh you most people will bench them benchmark themselves against societal norms how can how can people not benchmark themselves against societal norms if they haven't created the benchmark internally themselves? Mm. And when do we ever learn? Or when do we ever get taught to create internal benchmarks? Mm-hmm. You don't. You have to be an extremely naturally wise individual, or you have to be lucky in that you have an influencer in your life growing up that it not only teaches you the value and the kind of theory behind creating internal benchmarks, but actually helps you set them when you're growing up. Um, so I think it's it's a really good phrase for what we as individuals and a society do when we're growing up but never break out of in some cases Mm, yeah yeah and I think when you were saying about that obviously the adversity you went through um and and not changing that that's part of your story and it's often that way in life isn't it you know when we're facing some adversity or something really hard in life sometimes it feels like we just can't get through it or it feels um like the weight of the world on us but often on reflection of that period or that time or that instant whatever people are going through that almost is the is the pivotal moment for a lot of people you know you often hear that from you know the speakers or athletes or something major has happened in their life and that was the pivotal moment where things all shifted and they got back on the right path and with a new sense of strength or tenacity or responsibility for their own life to allow them to flourish in the next phase is that it's a it's a watershed moment for so many people and yeah you just hope that most people come out of it with a positive reflection um rather than being stuck mm-hmm. yeah which is not an easy thing to do yeah and again get i suppose to, i suppose um to not only acknowledge but give yourself credit as well because a lot of people can you know, you described having the awareness, but then actually proactively doing something about it, mm-hmm. which, you know, takes a lot of, I suppose, courage um, to be able to take that step. But I think, you know, I always say that self-awareness is one of my big passions in life, because I think if everyone's slightly more self-aware of themselves and others, the world would be a different place. But with awareness has to come action as well, because mm-hmm. we could, you know, sit in that place like you, you know, you maybe were, John, where sitting in that place of being depressed and have the awareness about it and maybe maybe aware of some of the triggers or the causes but unless you'd practically done anything 
you wouldn't have experienced the last four or five years of your life yeah i i i, I pretty much i i it's almost um i'm quite scared to think about what life would look like had i not gone through that because pretty much everything has stemmed from that period mm-hmm. of self-reflection and, and adjustment and change and feeling feeling it like feeling it as a catalyst to move forward in a positive but very different manner um one of the biggest things i struggled with at the time was i couldn't make sense of it i couldn't understand why i was depressed and i said earlier i, I didn't have the tools to be able to address it and I, this is one of the biggest uh i suppose descriptors for that is when i sat down and thought logically i was i just you know i thought there's there's no reason for me to be depressed you know if i look at my life objectively it's great i have nothing particularly challenging going on i've got a bright future in my career i'm uh, in a solid relationship etc etc so that i really struggled with and it's only through going you know it's only through understanding why it happens and going through that journey that you realize that there is no logic to depression and that's actually not linked to your current situation most of the time the, the root cause the catalyst for it is much deeper than that it's based in childhood experience adolescent experience growing up um and projecting into the future as well yeah. yeah so so if i was to just you know cap off that point if anyone is saying they're experiencing it trying to apply logic to it the best advice i can give you right now is it, there is no logic behind it it's much deeper than that mm, yeah and i and again i I'm not sure if I've shared this on the podcast already, but I know we've spoken, um, I suppose, about some of the deep work I've done for myself as well. And I think there's, you know, and that's why I love the word evolution when it comes to change, because there's always another, whatever the cliche is, layer of the onion or, you know, to peel back in that that level of self-awareness can always develop further. But doing really, you know, deep work and really understanding self is so powerful and often that you know in your case was therapy but you know whether it's coaching or therapy but having I suppose that support and that safe space to be able to go there um yeah it's it's so powerful as as a springboard to what what the future could look like so yeah thanks for sharing that my pleasure I know when we we chatted and um I'd love to dive into a bit more about what you're doing now and share that with the listeners. But when we were chatting in the coffee shop, I remember you saying about how, and you said at the start of the podcast, how do I define myself? You know, what label do I put on myself? And I think that, especially when people are stepping away, maybe from corporate or trying to re, you know, change up their identity or redefine themselves, we attach these labels to ourselves. And I suppose even for, for what you described about becoming a dad, you know, we almost have a label and an expectation that goes along with that, that often isn't necessarily true to who we maybe are. Um, and I don't know if you if you found that either becoming a dad or leaving corporate, but how that label defined you in the past, whether it was a job title or the salary or the status, whatever, you know, that label is. But is that something that, that you experience as a challenge, John, or...? I have the opposite problem now, okay. <laughs> which, which I'll come on to. I think, yeah, I think um, when I was starting my, my career, particularly down in London, where it's you know, generally pretty fast paced and a lot of people go there, myself included, to kickstart a career. Um, mm-hmm. And again, because you don't know any different, you don't have any different experience. Yes, you tie your identity up a lot with your career and your job and what you earn and how quickly you're being promoted, et cetera. I, I think for most people, that's not actually a problem at that age and stage because you know that that's the funnel of life that most of us are being channeled down is 
okay, I'm uh, 20-something, I'm in the right place because I got a graduate job, I work for a big company, I'm being paid X, you know, my future looks like this. And at, the, at that time, you just think, okay, well, I'm on the train, that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think too many people have an issue with defining themselves by and large by that career. Uh, I think that does change as you get older. Like I say, you go through that, a period of life where uh, you, you gain more responsibility, you um, enter into deeper relationships with other people, uh, and then you do start to question. Um, but my problem now, up until recently, actually, has been the opposite in that I've, I've had so many different interests, um, so many things that I'm capable of doing, that I've actually struggled to narrow it down. You know, okay. and I, and that's sometimes to my detriment because I spread myself so thin because I I almost don't want to let go of stuff that I know I would enjoy or um, that I could create value in. But ultimately, you do have to come to a point where you say, right, these are the leading lights in my life, and this is what I'm going to focus on. So, uh, my my whiskey business being a good example, but um, there's a there's there's a fascinating train of thought actually around how we identify ourselves and i don't know if you've come across it but johnny wilkinson um former england rugby player uh has a, a podcast called i am and it's not too dissimilar from this it's not too dissimilar from the men who talk podcast that i run but the kind of premise is you know we shouldn't define ourselves in, in by anything um because our our beings are so much more complex and transistory than than just you know a job title or uh status in a family or in a community and it is very limiting when you start to describe yourself that way to others um and it's it's very difficult i find to really grasp onto this theory because it is quite conceptual but um the whole point is that when it, when someone asks you the question who are you all you have to say is i am and that's enough and it kind of opens up this, uh, I suppose, permission in your own head to say, well, at any given time, depending on the environment or my ambitions or my motivations or what I'm being spurred on by, I, I can be any one of any things. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do, I am trying to explore that concept much more. And like you said on, on my podcast a wee while ago, I don't want to define myself by my job. I don't want to lead into conversation saying, well, I, I'm a whiskey creative or i'm a dad or i'm a husband i'm all of these things and more and some i'm good at some i'm less good at but i i am all of these things mm. yeah it's, i don't know whether and i think i maybe even said this on, on the men who um podcast but i don't know if it's a really british thing but it's so it's such a go-to you know way to describe yourself i find a lot of people in conversation um you know firstly it's your name and it's closely followed by either your job title or what sector you're in you know yeah. and people define themselves that way I love that just I am and how yeah we, we we all play different roles from day to day or from month to month or you know as our as we evolve I think I think what you've said there is linked to our western culture or societal culture to have to, to want to measure everything um yeah. it, it's yeah. almost like there's no value in something that can't be measured and i think who who we are and who, uh, how we choose to place ourselves in society is exactly that so yeah after your name it's <clears throat> it's a job title and that job title comes with a sort of invisible hierarchy of, of where you stand in terms of how important you are in a society um and behind that whether you choose to say it or not there's usually you know there's usually uh, an, an income bracket linked to that as well and, and I think in some 
instances, you're kind of hoping to confer that without saying it and saying, okay, well, let's 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 do the dance here and just make sure that you know that I'm you know positioned higher than you or whatever or or higher than this person, um, without being blunt about it. And I think it's unfortunately it's it was so hardly baked into our society, but it's really unhealthy in it. You know, it doesn't do anything for relationships or community um, if we're continually placing ourselves on that ladder of hierarchy, whether we realize it or not. So I think the more we can break free from that, the better. But what I, I just think we struggle with the vocabulary, the articulacy to say it in different ways. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things come back to language, don't they? And the power of words and how we, how descriptive we can get. I think what you, what you just described was almost that seeking of validation. And we yeah. do that in a lot of ways as humans but also you said I think it was you said there's no value in things you can't measure but often and I think this is a real common theme for a lot of the clients I work with is that people attach their value and their worth to their output and productivity yeah which again is probably a lot of the time linked to people's jobs and the status or the the role within an organization but it means if they're not delivering they don't feel value or feel worthy and if if they need there's that constant hamster wheel of delivering more which then in my opinion I suppose leads to burnout a lot of the time we're, we're keeping striving to deliver and deliver and deliver it's yeah. that human doing rather than human being and, yeah. and that what you said I am the the other thing I was going to mention about you said about on the train or up the ladder however you want to uh, imagine it if you're a visual person um but I can't I, I had done a post a, oh god maybe 18 months ago but about that that thought process of and I and I did I did this in my career as well tried to get up the ladder as quickly as humanly possible you know out of grad school type vibes so left uni got into the sports industry and then changed jobs I think I had about five jobs in four years because I was pushing and myself to get the you know get a promotion and, and move up that ladder but if the ladder's up against the wrong building it doesn't matter how fast you get up it because you're going to reach the top and still be unhappy or unfulfilled or missing something or just not living your best, most fulfilled, purposeful life. And that was something I reflected on was, yeah, I'd got up the ladder quickly and I loved it. I loved my career and I loved the sector I was working in. But actually, it wasn't my, my true destiny in life. It wasn't where I was meant to end up. Um, so I love I, I, I mean can you say that that you love something you've come up with yourself absolutely I'm going to go for it but yeah, I, love that I love that analogy of like it doesn't matter how quickly you get up the ladder if it's up against the wrong wall you know so it's taking that time again isn't it the stuff we've just spoken about taking the time to know who you really are what's really important to you so that you can actually prop your ladder up against the right wall in the first yeah. place and there's a lot of mental maturity to reach it reach the right point and ask the right question at the right time in a career like that because those that don't, um, those that don't, and then subsequently find out that it's not what they want, or they don't have the in, the intrinsic motivation, or you know the skills to do it, that's when they get in trouble. Um, it happened to me. I I was if I'd still been where I was, I'd been a partner of that business. I'd have been earning loads of cash. I would <laughs> I would have uh, I would have had a so called great career. But that it was at that point when I was probably less than a year away from joining the partnership. Um, and I said, do I really have it in me to give everything to this business over the next however many decades? Mm. With, with all the rewards and societal status that comes with, and the answer was no. Mm-hmm. And I'm a much, <laughs> a much, much happier person than I would have been had I gone down that path. 
Yeah, and I think I shared this with with the listeners on your podcast as well, John, but around that, what does happiness actually mean? And a lot, you know, if we come back to the things that make us happy, often what we perceive it to be is actually not what it is. And it's that, again, like you've said, it's getting clear on, like you did, like you did, you know, I love that projected forward 15 years and you were in the office with other people and thought like, does that light me up? Does, does, do I want that to be my life? And if the answer is yes, you're on the right track, crack on. Yeah. If the answer is no, get inquisitive about what that means and, and, and what path you should be on. And then how, and then I suppose then the art is, how do you get from the path you're on to the path you want to get on? And, it, and that transition phase and doing that with a lot of uh, curiosity, self-compassion. Real, you know, reality as well. You've got to be realistic about what it means for you and your family. Yeah. Unless you get lucky or the change isn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the value of some, sometimes the value of just sitting where you are and lifting your head and looking around is underrated. You can gain a lot of insight into what your life's going to be like in a few years' time if you just lift your head up and look around you. Yeah. Wow. That is profound stuff. I love that. <laughs> um, we've touched on, we've kind of circled around lots of the mental health topic, but I know that's something that you're really passionate about and it's a topic really close to your heart. So, can you tell, like, share with the listeners what you've been up to? Because I've I've loved watching it from the from the sidelines. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, when I said I, I'm in, in, interested and involved in so many things. Uh, this is this is one of those things. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I suppose the the other half of my career, if one half isn't about whiskey, the other half is about men's mental health or mental well being generally. Um, so I've told you the story about my experience with depression, um, not being prepared for that, and the, the kind of toll it took on my life for a period of time. As, as part of my way of dealing with that, I, uh, I took uh, a course of one-on-one therapy. Um, so I saw a therapist for eight weeks, which made a massive, massive difference to my situation. And it was the first time in my life that I've really ever talked to anyone about how I was feeling. Um, but it was also the first time in my life that I went back into my childhood or my adolescence and started to understand where a lot of what I was experiencing then was coming from. And I was drawing lines between those experiences then and those experiences today and starting to understand uh, why things were as they were, why my beliefs were as they were, why my values, what experiences had shaped the man I had become. Um, So as I say, I found that incredibly beneficial and that happened just before we left London. When we moved up to Edinburgh, I actually by chance, came across a, a men's mental health charity who are UK wide and they were running talking circles um, in Edinburgh, which for people unfamiliar with talking circles is effectively a, an environment whereby a number of people can come together and talk about their mental well-being in a safe space. And so I joined this, this charity as a participant, uh, quickly got involved as a volunteer, helping sort of facilitate the circles. Um, met some incredible, incredible people and, and basically just continued this conversation that I was having with myself as much as anyone else. Um, but that came to its natural conclusion. And with the guys I was involved with, we knew we wanted to continue a space to speak, not just for us, but for everyone who was on that journey with us, um, but also the men that we knew were out there that would benefit from this. So what we set up was The Men Who, um, which is the uh, the community interest company that we still run in Edinburgh 
uh, and increasingly throughout Scotland to this day. And, and at its heart, what it does is provides weekly talking circles for men to come together in person or online to share their thoughts, talk about their mental well-being, listen and learn from one another, um, amongst other things. So, so I've been involved with that for the last three years, as I say, as, as a co-founder and trustee. Um, but my, my main role in that is as a participant. It always will be. Um, because that's where I get the most from it is, is perspectives from other people and that platform to share what I need to share. Um, in the last few months, as we've alluded to, we've, we've also started a podcast, The Men Who Talk, which has been really, really successful, uh, not only because we've had fantastic guests on it, like yourself, um, <laughs> a lot of great feedback on your episode, but also because it's another way of, of taking the conversation to people who might not be able or who, or who might not feel comfortable to um, to join a, a group setting so really it's about making sure that you know more more and more men more and more people know that these kind of groups exist um, and I suppose for want of a better phrase how to talk about their mental well-being mm -hmm. you know if you hear other people talking about it it suddenly you know you apply that to your situation and think okay well that's relevant for me um, here's how I would talk about that so uh, the men who is I in one form or another, I hope it is part of my life until the day I die. Um, you know, not only because it is helping others, but <laughs> it, selfishly, it helps me hugely. And it is my way of giving back to others that I think everybody needs in their lives. Yeah, I love that. I, um, yeah, definitely check out John's podcast. I love it. And um, thanks for having me on yours. It was one of the <laughs> ones where... Um, before I decided to do the Refresh and Change podcast, it gave me a little taster of what the podcasting world was like, which I'll yeah. be useful for you forever. So thank you. <laughs> You're um, very welcome. But thanks for sharing that. And I, th I think that just the power in talking to someone, I, it is so, you know, often we can have all these thoughts or insights or have the awareness, but sometimes when we, when we leave it all in our own head, it doesn't get any greater clarity around it until we you know and people might have different practices it might be journaling and writing it down it might be talking to someone but just getting it out of your own head your own mind um it's therapeutic in itself isn't it but also just brings that greater sense of clarity particularly I suppose working with a professional to start making sense of some of that childhood and you know we've all I think that's one of the things that makes life so beautiful is that we've all lived different lives and had different experiences that have shaped us in different ways like no no two humans are the same like we're all unique which in itself is so wonderful but we, we have to I suppose harness that journey and that um that that life that we've been on um so yeah the power of talking when you use the, the phrase mental well-being and I'd love to just I suppose get your take on or that or a definition for what you would deem as as mental well-being John yeah it's a really good question it's really pertinent because there is a in my view there is a difference between mental health and mental well-being um mm -hmm. I I think mental well-being is a more it's a more widely encompassing concept than just health you know um the easiest thing to think back to is is physical well-being versus physical health in general terms i tend to look at mental health as avoiding or reacting to a so-called negative situation um, in that you are experiencing depression you are experiencing anxiety or any other um, mental health 
condition. Um, whereas with well-being, I tend to see that as a bit more of a proactive play. Um, so knowing that there are things that we can do in our everyday lives that will help us cultivate uh, and proactively manage our mental health so that we don't get depressed or get depressed as much or as severely, for example. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of knowing what it is that your I suppose, positive well-being triggers are in, in daily life and, and making an effort to prioritize them or act upon them. Um, so, for example, I have a list on my phone that I call my, I think I call it my daily well-being list or something. And that has 12 activities on it that I know individually uh, bring me joy, bring me satisfaction from a, a mind, body and soul perspective. And I've actually categorized them, which ones benefit my mind, which ones benefit my body and which ones benefit my soul. And the goal throughout the day is to have undertaken as many of those little activities as I can. And I know that if I stick to this over the period of 24 hours, over the period of a day, a month, a year, whatever it is, if I come back to these things that give me joy, then I'm less likely to find myself in uh, a, a difficult mental state. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I'd look at the difference between the two. And at the men who we very you know, consciously choose to talk about mental well-being because we're not mental health professionals that should be stated you know uh, we've all got training in in mental health sort of first aid and uh, a couple of the guys have doctorates but um we're very much focused on well-being and making sure people can cultivate that positive state of mind through talking through community through whatever it is for them that you know helps their helps their mind stay in a steady state mm, yeah it's almost what you you talked about in your own journey of that you know that period of depression was reactive and how do you uh, create the change or or enable yourself with the tools that you needed to learn at that time to deal with that situation but now it's it's like you say it's it's um it's proactive it's um it's like it's like going to the gym you know or eating well you know we we look at things for our like you mentioned our physical well-being to you know to manage how we feel and how healthy we are I suppose and it, again I suppose that's just exactly what you described for for our mental well-being is that yeah not waiting until we've got an issue it's about mm -hmm. I suppose optimizing our mindset and our perspective on life and our wellness before we almost before we need to isn't it yeah it's it's proactive it's, it's kind of another way of looking at it is it's upstream right so what can we do at the top uh, you know upstream in the river to make sure that when we get down to the choppy waters we're as well prepared to face them as we can be yeah yeah and and that's the, i suppose one thing to note is that the choppy waters will be there for all of us right we're, you know we're always going to feel a mix of emotions we're going to go through the stuff that knocks us off course but if we've got the tools techniques community lived experience then we mm. can deal with those things quicker I suppose I, I always think about it as like a response rate you yeah. know it's, you're not going to avoid um those thoughts coming in or, or or feeling that that emotion but to be able to pull yourself out the river rapids becomes far easier if you're equipped for it this is exactly what it is. We can never prepare ourselves to face every single situation in life, but we can make ourselves more resilient. Um, I think a, re a really interesting observation that a couple of people have said to me privately, do you know, do you not think you're exposing yourself and making yourself quite vulnerable by, you know, openly talking about the fact that you, you know, experience depression. And my answer to that is always my ability to speak about that is, is my greatest strength. 
Mm. You know, it is it is my my single greatest strength as an individual is that I can speak openly about that. Hopefully, help others um, reflect on their situation and and take some positive tips. But also because the more I speak about it, the more resilient I get. <laughs> that's that's the great thing about it. You know, the more you open up, the more you realize that actually you have pretty much everything you need to deal with troubles that you will inevitably face. Yeah. And I wonder, the thing that came up for me there was about um, almost becoming more self-aware. You know, every time I can imagine and reflect on my own journey, I, I probably do this. Every time you have a conversation or a dialogue or, or tell the story again, you, do you have another light bulb or more clarity or greater insight? You know, it's like, I can see you nodding. But yeah, is that is that fair? I think, to be honest with you, I nothing I've said in the last hour or so has been new to me. But mm-hmm. the, way I, the way I have said it, um feels what's the word i'm looking for i I feel more comfortable each time i say it just because i realize it it is a strength it's not a weakness yeah to be able to talk about it and i I know firsthand how many people listening to our podcast your podcast whether it's one person whether it's 10 you know somebody will take something and that will help them um and that's ultimately why you do it it's what makes you proud Mm, yeah and I love that list of 12 activities what a good life hack that is oh, and actually if you compare you know that the thing that popped into my head is comparing that you know life as a new graduate in London chasing the career and that being the real focus of every day you know yeah. how much work or output or you know whatever that looks like for people versus like if I take the 12 activities from my mind body and soul off every day that is a good life and that's your priority which is yeah. again where i've gone wrong so many times is really get your work done then focus on yourself no no, yeah. no no focus on yourself do some work go back and focus on yourself then go back and do some more work and then come and focus on yourself yeah. and then at the end of the day look down that list and see how many you've achieved and over time you build up a profile of what comes easy to you and also the gaps you know where you find it more difficult to cultivate in certain aspects mm. and you you, it's, you just build up this picture of you know what's easy what's hard what you need to focus on more uh, what what you need to focus on less because over time it doesn't bring you as much satisfaction or joy or peace whatever it is you know it's um I, I live by that list literally I love that and it's a real that for me is a real clear picture of a massive shift in focus isn't it on what, on what the, I suppose the meaning of life yeah which is so powerful do you, want, do you want me to go down the list do you want me to tell you what's on it if you're happy to share <laughs> it I'm, I, I guess I'm quite intrigued I'm if, sure if you're happy to listen <laughs> Absolutely. So, so the list is called daily mind body and soul right and on this list are yeah well we'll see when we get to the end number one meditate for 10 minutes for the mind number two participate in a talking circle for the mind number three walk or run for 30 minutes for the body number four engage in a wellness activity for the body so a wellness activity might be and i'm sitting in a sauna or something or doing pilates uh, number five, drink a drink a Huel. So I drink Huel because it gets the nutrients in. That's for the body. Mm-hmm. Number six, which I love, is take a cold shower for thirty seconds for the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, which I'm trying to get better at, is enjoy one quality coffee a day again for the body. Eight, have an alcohol-free day, which I know you're very good at. I'm mm-hmm. less good at that. Um, number nine, create a piece of artwork for my soul. I'm an artist as well. Uh, Ten, complete a journal entry for my soul. 11 read for 15 minutes for my soul um i forgot what number i'm right here but <laughs> quality time with a friend again for the soul that's one i added recently uh and the last one is spend time in nature for the soul and i find that 
actually I can take a lot of those off at once. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, today I've not done three of those, but you know, to, what's today? A Tuesday? I've been yeah. working today. I've had the kids, um, but I've still got down, you know, ten out of twelve, whatever it is, of those items, and yeah, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and you can just from looking at the list, like you say, you know, if you went for a walk with a friend in nature, that's like three things. Off the list. I love that list. What I was going to say, because I don't want people listening to be like, oh my God, how does that man fit all that in his day? But I, I, I assume, or I, tell me if this is how you came to the list, I assume there's a bit of trial and error in there to be like, trying new things, does this really bring me joy? Because I, often I find like exercise is a really good one where, you know, if, if you're not enjoying it, like, what is the point? Yeah. You have to find stuff that lights you up. So, if going to the gym is not your thing or going running is not your thing, find another way to move your body that does bring you joy and happiness. Did you have a bit of trial and error to create that list, John? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that list started off as five things um, as yeah. recently as two months ago. And okay. there were five things that I knew I loved. But over time, I've added, I have taken some away. I have changed the definition. I actually, I actually think the words you use in this list are very important. So to give you an example, the coffee one, enjoy one quality coffee, not only drink one coffee. Because that means that the quality, the coffee I do choose will be a good quality one and I will mindfully sit and try and enjoy it rather than just kind of chuck it down my throat, which I've been guilty of in the past. So, you know, language is very important, being flexible around what's on there and not being rigid. Um, but also a really important thing that I've learned is try and avoid a situation where it is just a list and you feel beholden to it because that's when it becomes counterintuitive. You know, it's it's not it's not something to be completed for the sake of completing. It's it's a guide, um, it's a reminder, it's something to help you, not not to hinder you or make you feel constrained. Mm. Yeah, and I I see I see that quite a lot in the sort of personal development space, if we want to call it that, where people know some of the whether it's tools, techniques, activities that they, in air quotes, should be doing. And then, like you say, it just becomes a tick box exercise. And I've been there, done it, and it's not fulfilling. No, it's so not. I, I love that you said that. There's a bit of trial and error. It started at five, it's grown to 12. There's flexibility. You you take the list off with compassion if you don't achieve it. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that's important to be mindful of when, we, when we're looking at what tools and techniques can we do to, to optimize our own, our own well-being. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, when because you mentioned hard and easy, and some things just will naturally fit better with our life, won't they? In terms of, I've done this with, you know, trying to form new habits. But again, this is where I find knowing ourselves really deeply helps us then create the new habit in the way that's right for us. Yeah. I know, and again, it's a classic um, go-to that other folk might resonate with, but if I was to get up saying I'm going to get up in the morning and go to the gym at 7am by myself with no one knowing that that was what the plan was, there's probably a 0.5% chance that that is going to happen. <laughs> but if I've booked a session or I'm going to a class, I've paid for it, I'm meeting a friend there, then it goes from 0.5 right up to 99% chance I'm going to go because I've got external accountability. And I know for me, for my personality and how I show up in the world, that's really important for me to be able to follow through something. So again, when you know yourself, you can then structure your life or your diary or your week to fit in the things that you want to do that are going to bring you that joy and happiness in a way that 
that is fulfilling in itself the act of doing it is fulfilling that's what it has to be it has to be the yeah. act not not the act of completing it yeah yeah i love that but, well, I mean, hopefully hopefully it's some you know practical tips for the listeners because it's helped me immensely yeah i'm gonna have to go and write my rewrite my list I've probably got something, <laughs> something vaguely similar but i haven't probably revisited or reviewed reviewed it in a while so yeah maybe a good one thanks for that so i mean my my final question was going to be what one tip would you give to the listeners if they were going to start taking in suppose in the intentional change that you've that you've taken as opposed to that unintentional change we spoke about at the beginning I don't know if, if you've hit the nail on the head with the guide is there anything else that you feel like you would like to pass on to the listeners in your wisdom <laughs> such as it is yeah I, I wrote down something earlier when I was you know preparing for this conversation and I guess it's a summary of what I've tried to try tried to say over the last hour is you know before you do anything understand why it is you want to change you know take take that moment whether it's five minutes or six months to lift your head up look around you and understand not just where you are but why you got there what has brought you to this point what has shaped your views what has shaped your personality um understand whether it's right for you understand whether it's the kind of person that you want to carry on for the next however many years understand what your intrinsic motivations are for changing um, because extrinsic ones are all very good um, more status more money whatever it is but you know you get to a point and actually there's no substitute for the things inside that you know deep down have changed for the better and then beyond that you know once you've once you've understand why it is you want to make the change and there really is no substitute in my eyes for taking action because the smallest of action leads to the greatest momentum and from momentum comes outcomes and outcomes in my eyes equate to change mm. um so if you can go on that journey and understand that's how it works you know um from a hypothetical point of view through to a practical point of view the good news is that tries when you might not to you will change and if you go through that process and start with your why you will change for the better and people around you will experience the positive nature of that change as well which has been the case in my life with my wife, my two boys, my family, my friends, everyone who I hopefully help through the men who, whether I've met them or not. And, you know, it makes that last four years and the journey that I've been on and hopefully the journey forever more gratifying and worthwhile. Mm. I love that. Why is such a powerful question. And uh, yeah, I'd agree. I don't think we ask it often enough. John, thank you so much for your time. I've, I always love our chats, but um, thank you for giving up your time and coming on the podcast. I will um, share links to the, if, if, if you're up for it, share links to the Men Who Talk podcast and any other sites and stuff. I can pop that in the show notes. So Yeah, please do. Yeah, thank you. Go and check John out. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I've just ticked off the um, spend quality time with a friend on my list because I think this counts. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Nicola, I wish you the very best of success with the refreshing change and your change journey. It's, as I say, it's awesome for me to see how you're doing and um, I hope to chat with you again on, on our podcast soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, John. All right, mate. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast so that next week you can join us again.